scripture reading this morning, afternoon, uh, is taken from Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. I'll give everybody the opportunity to turn. I see the pages turning. Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. A little book towards the end. Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. Are we there? I would ask that you please stand for the reading of God's word. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, and you may be seated. Pastor? Take my you may be seated, and uh, if you want to bring the edge down, on, I'm using my clip-on mic, but this one has a little bit of an edge to it, or just, just keep it at that right level there. Well, listen, folks, uh, we have a series that is ongoing, and that is uh, we're following uh, Phil, and Fred and I have gone on and done some training for church revitalization. And they have instructed us in a preaching calendar cycle. And I've been following that since it was introduced last month, well, this, at the beginning of this month. But prior to that, I was taking us through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And because today is the fifth Sabbath, we're going to be spending that time in Paul's letter so it doesn't mess up the preaching cycle. We'll get back onto that next week or whenever, well, whoever is the guest speaker they'll be assigned those specific topics. But nonetheless, that is where we're at today. We're in Paul, back in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And today's message is titled, The Economy of God's Grace. I'm going to be explaining to you the economy of God's grace. How many of you knew that God had an economy of His grace? Raise your hand. Nobody knew that. Nobody. That tells me you haven't been reading the book of Ephesians. Oh, I'm very sad, Rika. I'm very sad because nobody was listening to Pastor Tom. Okay, but in the meantime, we want to welcome our online audience. For, to find more messages like this, you can go to middletownportlandsda.org or you can find some exclusive content when I have the time to record it at Path of Prophecy. That's my private YouTube channel and so you'll be able to find some exclusive content there. But in the meantime, we want to welcome our online audience, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. Please, we, want to, um, we hear that you are out there. We have the statistics that show us that you're out there. So please feel free to interact with the message. 
tell us, let you like it, or uh, subscribe to our channel, or whatever it is, leave a comment, we would really appreciate it, because we want to improve, and we want to be a blessing to you. But in the meantime, let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the economy of God's grace that is going to be revealed today in the scriptures. But I pray that these poor, feeble lips would be anointed with your Holy Spirit, that I would be able to proclaim your word effectively. And I pray also, Father, that the ears that are listening would be anointed as well, that we would not leave here today with just information, but that our hearts would be deeply touched by the gospel message. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an economy of God's grace, but there's also our own economy here in this nation. And the state of today's economy really captivates our attention. It's in the news every day. And I want to share some statistics about our current economy. And that is this. How is the United States economy doing? I'm going to have to pull out my glasses to read some of this off because I'm just getting to that age, MJ. And um, for example, the U.S. GDP, that's gross domestic product, increased 2.1% in 2022 after increasing 5.9% in 2021. So there was a slight downturn. It did improve. It did increase, but not as much as it did in 2021. Year-over-year -year inflation, the rate at which consumer price index, uh, consumer price increase was 6.5% in December of 2022. That means inflation is still uh, the enemy of the economy, okay? <clears throat> Point number three up there, Federal Reserve raised their interest rates seven times in 2022, and again on February 1, 2023, to curb inflation, increasing the target rate from near zero to 4.5 to 4.75%. Well, listen, folks, I could go on and on with that list, but I'm not going to. Can I hear an amen? There you go. There you go, because I don't want to bore you, because I've got some exciting news here, that just as we need to pay attention to, and the U.S. economy captivates our attention, there's something else that really ought to captivate our attention, and that is the economy of God's grace. Amen? The economy of God's grace. It ought to capture our attention. It demands our attention. We need to understand God's economy of grace, and that's what Paul talks about in his letter to the Ephesians. How do we know that? Let's go there right now. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. It's right in that text. It, Paul is talking about the economy of God's grace. How so? What do you mean the economy of God's grace? Well, let's go a little bit further. I'm going to pull up this slide. <clears throat> I have a couple of different translations here. One is the King James and the New King James. It also compares it with the New International Version. Over there on your <clears throat> left-hand side, <clears throat> excuse me, the King James and the New King James, <clears throat> excuse me, uses the word dispensation. Now, that's a big fancy word, wouldn't you say? 
I would say it is, <clears throat> especially for our Spanish-speaking folk. Let's count the syllables. Dispensation. Four syllables. Big fancy word, right? <clears throat> but across the page <clears throat> is the NIV. The NIV says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So I've got the word outlined in red. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do have the water here, but just, uh, just want to give pause here. <clears throat> so when there's different translations use different words, that is telling us that the publishers are struggling with a way to effectively express what the word is in the original. Okay? <clears throat> it's not that the word is wrong. Okay? It's just that they're struggling, right? We have that experience when we're translated, right? <clears throat> for our friends and for our neighbors. We're looking for that right word that can <clears throat> capture <clears throat> the essence of what the word is saying. So what does the word mean <clears throat> that is in the original? Well, the Bible, for our young people who may not be aware, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. The Old Testament in Hebrew, Aramaic, and then uh, the New Testament in Greek, okay? And we're going to now look at what that word is in the original language. And here is why Pastor Tom titled his sermon, The Economy of God's Grace, because Strong's Concordance has this word as oikonomia. Sounds like our word economy, right? And that's because it is. Oh, thank you. Blessings upon you. May your tribe increase. Okay. Thank you so kindly. For providing that. It goes from one to one to one to one. So what the word oikonomia means is administration. The administration of a household or an estate. Specifically, a religious economy. A dispensation, a stewardship. And so when we go back to this word, it makes sense. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the oikonomia of the grace of God which was given to me for you. Now, not many of us speak Greek. I don't even speak it. You can read it a little bit. But they translated it as dispensation, or as the New King James, uh, or as the NIV says, what did the NIV say? Thank you, thank you. You're paying attention. Pastor Tom is really excited now. That's very exciting when the sheep pay attention, all right? All right. So Paul is talking about this dispensation, this administration of God's grace. Okay? God has this reservoir of grace, if you can imagine. And what he does is he dispenses it. He releases it. He gives it out. It's free. <clears throat> what we have to do is ask for it by prayer. Okay, we pray for it. That's how we get it. And God gives it for all of our circumstances. Whether it's going to work in the morning, whether it's our sins being forgiven, whether it's how to deal with our children who are rebellious, regardless of what it is, there is grace available to deal with every single circumstance in life. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> the passage goes on. Okay? For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you. 
So I'd been talking about the economy of God's grace, but we first needed to understand that word. Where did that word economy come from? Well, praise God, it's right there in the scriptures. Okay? But then there's this other word, grace. Grace. What does that mean, grace? Well, we're going to also go and look that up so we can understand. Okay? Because some people give the definition is it's God's unmerited favor. And that's true. But it's much more than that. It's a very rich word. It's a very powerful word. It's a very expressive word. Okay? We're going to go to Strong's Concordance. Here's what it says. Grace. The Greek word is charis. Graciousness. Manner of... Uh, uh, Manner or act, the abstract or the concrete, literal, figurative, spiritual, especially the divine influence upon the heart. Okay? So the dispensation of God's grace is the stewardship of God's influence upon our hearts. Okay? God is constantly working with our hearts because it's our heart that reveals the motives of what we do and why we do what we do. Okay? But it's much more than just the divine influence upon the heart. Uh, reflection in the life, it includes gratitude. It includes accepting, benefit, favor, a gift or graciousness. It could also mean joy. Did you ever think about that, Joy? Yeah. Liberality, pleasure, uh, thankfulness or thankworthiness. Okay? So... For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of God's favor upon the heart, which was given to me for you, or God's influence upon the heart. Okay? So here's the interesting thing, though, is that this stewardship of grace is a responsibility, and it was given to Paul. It was given to the Apostle Paul. Now, let's go a little bit further because Paul talks in the next few verses how this was revealed. Okay? He says in verses 3 and 4, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've already briefly written, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, folks, I'll be honest with you. I've been preaching for 28 years. And I've been going through this series in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I would have to say, and I haven't preached the entire set of scriptures, but this is one of the most difficult passages. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, especially chapters 1, 2, and 3, because he is so wordy. He says a lot. And he's just kind of all over the place. And it's my responsibility to make it plain for you folks. And you know what? Paul's not always easy. Okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. The good news is that Peter said the same thing about Paul. He said some of his things, some of his sayings are hard to understand. So I have to say, okay, it's not my fault. It's Paul's fault. Okay? But the point is, I'm going to try to help break this down for us, okay? Because it helps me. It's not just for you, it's for my benefit as well. 
Paul's saying that this ministry of grace was given to him for the church at Ephesus, okay? And he did that by a revelation. God gave Paul a revelation, and through that revelation, he made known to Paul this mystery of God's grace. And he says in parentheses here, that's the publishers who put it in parentheses, so it's a little bit of an addendum, a side note that Paul says, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul is simply saying, hey, what I wrote in the previous chapters, chapters 1 and 2, is what I was doing. I was explaining this mystery of God's grace. And let me ask you this. Are mysteries easy to understand or are they difficult to understand? Usually difficult, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be a mystery, right? So, here's the clue of the hour. It's a little bit rainy today and sundown's a little bit later, so I'm going to give you a homework assignment. All right? I want you to go home and read Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. How's that for a homework assignment? Right? Yeah, just be glad I'm not giving you a book report, though. All right? But go home and prayerfully read. Get your Bible out. And if you feel so inclined, read through the entire book of Revelation, excuse me, of Ephesians, which is really just six short little chapters. Okay? But I want to encourage you to get into this book. Okay? Because there's a lot there. And he explains what this grand and glorious mystery is. Okay? Now, first we've got to do a little, little background history here, though. Okay? The Apostle Paul says he was given this by revelation. How did this revelation happen? Well, the story about the Apostle Paul was, of course, he, at one time, his name was Saul. And as a Jew... He was persecuting the early church, the infant church. And he would persecute them by making sure that they were arrested and that these people were put in prison or even seeing to it that they were put to death. Put to death for simply believing differently. Okay? Well, one day, Paul was on the road to Damascus, which is in what is now modern-day Syria, and on the way there, he was with some companions who were traveling with him. And all of a sudden, he saw this bright light and this voice that was coming from within the light that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul was taken aback. And he was blinded. And then he was given instructions that he was to go to a man Aeneas, who was to help him and pray for him, and he would explain what Paul needed to do. And so the story took off from there, and Paul was healed of his blindness. He was blind for three days, but after that he was baptized, okay? And then he made a complete turnaround. Instead of persecuting the Christians, he became a Christian. He became one of those whom he had been previously persecuting. He became a follower of of Jesus Christ. And that's because he had, he had come under the conviction that he himself was a sinner. 
even though he was a Pharisee who had done everything right that he possibly could do from a child, he realized that he was nothing more than a wretched sinner. A wretched sinner. And, of course, he showed how he was a wretched sinner because he was persecuting people. So that's the little background to Paul. And what he ended up doing was he ended up going into... Uh, once he realized what God was calling him to, he began to um, study the Scriptures very, uh, very, very seriously. He was a very good student of the Scriptures anyways. But then he began to re-examine them in the light of this newfound understanding of God and God's grace that was revealed through Jesus Christ. We can find this in Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Paul gives a little bit of his personal testimony here. He says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So, the idea being is that once Paul was converted, what he immediately began doing, immediately, was he began preaching. But shortly after he started preaching, he then retreated to Arabia, what is known as Arabia. And some people think that's Mount Sinai, but it's probably not as likely that he went there. It was probably a region closer to um, Damascus in the wilderness, and he just took some time off, really, uh, about three years, and just really in, studied in depth. And here's something very interesting, a little side note addendum. You can go and to uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, and essentially there is what I believe to be some of the clearest evidence of the inspiration of Scripture. Even that exceeds Daniel chapter 2. Well, I wouldn't say exceed, but is parallel to Daniel chapter 2. And here's why. Because Paul himself says, I... Uh, did not confer with flesh and blood. In other words, he did not meet up with Peter, James, and John, and all the other apostles. What he did was he studied on his own. And what happened was he came to an understanding of the gospel, and they had their understanding of the gospel, and when they met, they did not conflict with one another. In fact, Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9, he says, uh, and it was a caution to the Galatians, to the Christians of Galatia, he says, if somebody preaches another gospel to you, let him be accursed. Even if it's an angel from heaven and they preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. Now that's a very strong statement. But the idea being is that what Paul is trying to say is that he had been given a revelation from God. This was not something that he cooked up on his own. This was not his own imagination. This was not just some wild fantasy that he had. This was based on the inspiration of Scripture and Scripture alone. Read it for yourself. That's an extra homework assignment today. Okay?
Galatians chapter 1. Okay? You'll see what I'm talking about. Powerful, powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. So, Paul goes on to say that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, meaning this economy of God's grace, this mystery, this revelation that had been given to him, had not been made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophets. Paul is simply saying is that there was a time in human history where the mystery of God's revelation of his grace was not fully understood. It was kind of enshrouded in mystery and like, what does he mean? We read the Old Testament and there's these stories, but sometimes we say, how does that fit in with what God is trying to say? We don't quite understand it. It's just a story. What does it mean? What does it mean? But it's not until Jesus Christ comes on the scene that he clarifies what the purpose of the scriptures are that they were to reveal the mystery of God's amazing, saving grace. His favor, his attempt to move your heart and my heart with his great love. And so what we see is we have just there this exposition of the mystery of the economy of God's grace. Okay? God wants to give his grace out. He wants to bestow his favor upon his creation. He wants to restore humanity from its lost condition. Okay? And God has established a whole economy, a whole way of administering this grace. Okay? Now here's the amazing thing. Because of this grace... It deserves our utmost attention. It deserves our attention. We need to pay attention to it. We need to study it for ourselves. And the reason so is because the, econ the economy of God's grace has been made available to everyone. There is nobody who is excluded from God's grace. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're ignorant or whether you're educated. It does not matter whether you're male or female in Paul's day, whether you were a bondman or you were a free man. No matter what economic bracket you come from, no matter what nationality you come from, no matter the color of your skin, it does not matter. God's amazing grace, His economy of grace, is made available for you and for me. Amen. Now, how do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us so. The Bible, it's just simple as that. It's not Pastor Tom making this up. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, I had an amazing experience this past week. I was, uh, had a meeting over at the Three Angels Church with some folks, <clears throat> and one of our elders had come along, uh, Daryl Williams. Many of you know him. He's preached here occasionally. 
and <clears throat> after the meeting was over, we had prayer, and we just met in the sanctuary, and we just knelt down and we prayed. When I was there kneeling, I glanced across the aisle, and I saw that there was a Bible sitting in the pew. A lovely Bible. It was a big Bible, kind of like this. And it was just sitting there on the other side. So naturally, it got my curiosity. I was like, oh, who left their Bible? Right? So I went over to see. And I opened it up, and there was no name on it. But it was a beautiful Bible. Who could it belong to? So I began leafing through it, and I found that there was a sheet of paper in there, and it had the scripture reading from apparently that previous Sabbath. Apparently, somebody had used their Bible to do the scripture reading, and they had the passage on a special piece of paper and the instructions as to what they were to say and, and so on and so forth. And so I thought to myself, well, this must belong to that person. But because there's no name, how do we find that? Well, I spoke to Daryl, and I said, Daryl, you were here this past Sabbath at Three Angels Church. Who was the scripture? Uh, who did the scripture reading? So he went online, praise God for technology, and our bulletin was still there, and he was able to trace the person down. So we f then found out who that Bible belonged to. So I called the family up, and I said, hey, we have your daughter's Bible, and can I bring it over? And so they said, yes, come on over. So I went over to the house. When I went over to the house, they were having a birthday party. Yeah, the story gets more interesting as I tell it. And so they said, Pastor, sit down, have some food. And so I did. Now, while I was sitting there, the family was there. There was some family gathered to celebrate the birthday. And uh, the, the husband, it was the wife who was having the uh, birthday, <clears throat> But her in-laws were there, and her brother-in-law, and the brother-in-law's wife. And the brother-in-law's wife asked me this question. She said, why? She said, I'm Roman Catholic. Why do we follow Jesus? Because he was a Jew. It's a fair question. I said, That's, the reason is, is because salvation is of the Jews. That's what the Bible says, John chapter 4. <clears throat> That's what Jesus told the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. He said, Some salvation is of the Jews. In other words, God chose a specific person, Abraham, and his offspring, Isaac, to work through them and their descendants to bring salvation to the world. They just happened to be of a certain race, the Jewish race, the Hebrew people. Okay? He had to work through somebody, and he chose Abraham and he promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that if Abraham followed God that he would make Abraham a blessing to the entire planet to all the inhabitants of planet earth and that's because the gospel was going to be revealed through that particular people group amen and so this is significant what Paul is saying here I shared all of that to address this issue Okay? It wasn't just to distract you and get you thinking about food, because I ate something on Tuesday. It was to answer this question. <clears throat> Paul is a Jew, and he is writing to a group of Gentiles, and he's saying that the Gentiles now have equal access to God, 
and they are inheritors of all the promises of God and partakers of His promise. Can I hear an amen? That means you and I have access to God just as much as our Jewish brethren had 2,000 years ago. God has given the gospel to all the world. Why? Because that's how the economy of God's grace works. It is made available to everybody. You know, in today's economy, there's a lot of questions because of the economic uncertainty of the times we live in. There's many who are saying, hey, the economy is unfair. It's now favoring an exclusive set of rich people, and the poor are getting poorer, and the middle class is being disenfranchised, and on and on and on. You've heard some of these arguments and these discussions on talk radio and stuff like this. This is what's currently going on, but not so in God's economy of grace. Nobody is left out of the picture. Nobody has said, no, this is not for you. This is for these folks. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That's the only way we can access this grace is through Christ. But praise God we can access it. Amen? So who are the beneficiaries of God's grace in his economy today? I have that verse up there, Ephesians 3, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. And then on the other side, on the right-hand side, I have that Strong's Concordance definition of caris, grace. Who has access to it today? All of us. Yeah, 2,000 years ago, Paul was thinking in a Jewish-Gentile mindset. Jewish-Gentile. It was just Jews and Gentiles. The Jews and then everybody else. Everybody else was labeled a Gentile. You know, in our world today, we say, oh, Filipino. We have uh, the Portuguese, Brazilian, da 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 I listed um, during our praise time all the different nationalities that are listening to our sermons on the podcast. How many nations? I don't know, I didn't keep count, but a lot of them. India, Pakistan, Brazil, Germany, Puerto Rico, which is not a country, it's part of the United States, but Brazil, and so on, and Germany, and so on, England, and so on, and so on. New Zealand. New Zealand. All over the world. That's because God's grace is made available to everybody on planet Earth. And that is prophetic. The Bible says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, not might be preached, not could be preached, not will think about it. No, it will be preached, and then the end will come. The fact that this little flock is participating on such a global scale tells me that indeed Jesus is soon to come. And the best way to get ready for his return is to put our efforts into that mission. We're going to be doing a little filming after the service with our special guests, Maria and Tito, and uh, with Jackie there, because we want to let people know that we're speaking in tongues right here in the Middletown Church. Amen? 
I'm so thrilled that Bible prophecy is happening right here, and we're part of it. We're seeing it. That's exciting. For those who may not be aware, Chris, we're translating into Spanish for our brethren over here. So the idea is that the gospel goes to everybody. Everybody's the beneficiary. And it's not just the idea that you can have your sins forgiven. It's that and so much more. God will be with us when our loved ones are dying. God will be with us when, our, when we're trying to make that decision, who do I marry? God will be with us in our decision-making uh, when we're trying to figure out as a young person, what do I do with my life? God's grace is available to help us in every circumstance we can have and face. And do our young people need this? Do our old people need this grace? Amen. We all need it. But it's, the good news is that it's made available to everybody. Now, that's who the beneficiaries are. Here's the final application. How is this grace going to be administrated? Remember, it's the economy of God's grace. So that requires stewardship. Stewardship requires management. It requires oversight. It requires the ability to give it out. Okay? To share it. How is this going to happen? We are the ministers of God's economy of grace. Did you catch that? We are the ministers of God's economy of grace. What do I mean by that? Well, we go to our Bibles. Last verse in our scripture reading, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Okay? Paul says, this grace was given to me. And as a result of that, God made him a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. We've got to turn again, once again, to our Strong's Concordance definition. What does it say? Strong's Concordance, number 1249, diakonos. Anybody ever heard of that word, diakonos? Where we get the word deacon or deaconess from? It means an attendant, somebody who waits upon, like a host or a friend. A friend. A teacher, technically, to act as a Christian deacon, an administrator, one who ministers or does ministering or ministration or ministry, who holds the office that brings relief or service to others. You know, in the church we have that formal position of a deacon or a deaconess. But really, it's not a position, it's a responsibility. Does that make sense? It's a responsibility. We are all called to be 
servant ministering God's grace. Servants who minister God's grace. And how is that? Well, how are we to administer God's economy of grace today? Paul says, of which I became a minister, a diakonos, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. How are we to administer God's grace? We administer God's grace because we have received God's grace. Does that make sense? We first came to that conclusion that I'm a wretched sinner. And I'm a poor, wretched sinner. But when I enter into God's economy of grace, I become wealthy. I become wealthy beyond what I can ever hope, dream, or imagine. God is inviting us to be co-laborers with him in administering grace and inviting others to be part of this economy of grace. Are we willing? The good news is here is that our pews are filling up. Not a whole lot, not a whole lot, but little by little. We can administer God's grace. We do so at the food pantry. We have a prayer ministry. For those online, let us know your prayer requests. We will pray for you. Some of you have been sending them in. We're praying for you, okay? That is how we can administer God's grace, okay? It's by asking God to intercede on behalf of others, okay? It's part of our priestly ministry. The idea is... Do you recognize that God has given you his grace to save you? And if you recognize that, are you willing to serve in God's economy of grace? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you have invited us to be participants in your economy of grace. The dispensation of your goodness and your mercy. It's my prayer that we would accept this call just as the Apostle Paul did 2,000 years ago and be participants in this great feat. Grace us, Father, with your presence because we cannot do this work without your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the visitors who have joined us here today. We pray your richest blessings upon them that their hearts would be touched in a very special way. And Father, we pray for Maria, that her back would be relieved of the suffering and the pain that she experiences. We pray for Tito and that you would bless him and guide him as he leads his family in this new country. And we also pray for Chris with the questions that have been posed to him in his mind. We pray that he would find satisfaction and answers from your word and that your word would be a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We pray that your blessing would be with us as we fellowship, and we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. Please bless our guests also online, every one of them who comes to this 
presentation and those who will be listening to these presentations in the future, we pray heaven's richest blessings upon them as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.